Element 23. Anyways, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Wood, Air, and Metal. I'm Italian, so I talk with my hands. If you're listening to this, just imagine me waving them around. That's what happens. Adam Keeler, yes, I know it's not Italian, but my mom's 100% Italian. And Tim Mirth over there. It counts, dude. It's genetic. Know. If your last name doesn't, <laughs> just doesn't fit, then... Oh, yeah, that's true. I would say my mom's last uh, maiden name, but uh, that uh, would kind of give it's away my It's actually a swear word, so you can't say it. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't want to give away my security question answers, yeah. but... Well, I mean, like, yeah, the, yeah. So, the mob. Anyway. There's always the, the mob. mob. Yeah, there is There is the mob, the, the, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> so there, there is that aspect that I'll never forget those stories my mom would tell me. So... Oh, it, 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 funerals. We're back, and, and yeah, so yeah, we are back. It's been the summer hiatus of vacations and all that other stuff. So it seems yeah, to be I actually the, had a vacation. Yeah, I know. I Ooh. actually enjoyed it, which is even crazier for me. I usually are like, great vacation. Now what do I do? So, and that's not because I don't work, but I really like playing guitar. So going away from it was like this is kind of. What 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 do I what do I do with my hands now? <laughs> but but we both brought our guitars. Yes, I got. Of uh, course, I, that was there's the always big... space for a guitar. There is, but there wasn't though for me. But I had since we were all like meeting my uh, father-in-law and the uh, the sister-in-law and everybody was going to the same campground. I sent it with my father-in-law because you mm. know he had space in his truck. So I'm like, yeah, take this one and I'll just meet you there. I uh, sent him with the Barnett guitar, which actually is a really nice guitar that I had like no other choice but to practice on it. So I yeah. got to kind of really dig into it. Um, Took a second because the scale length is a little bit longer. I mean, it's a 650 versus a 640 for the Thames, so it's not off by much, but it was just a, a slight adjustment. But it does; it is easier to play. Like the action's a lot more, uh, not a huge amount lower, but enough Le- where it's- less classical and more like regular guitar. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the interesting is thing is is I always thought that like the Thames, in my opinion, is way louder, much much uh, of a dynamic range. But the strange thing was is that when I was doing this back when I had a weekly gig at this uh, church doing like an evening service, they uh, said that the Barnett was better for the room than the Thames was. Hmm. Like they would mic the Thames, but they didn't need me mic'd with the Barnett. Which was crazy because I was playing with an organ. Now, granted, they could manipulate the volume on the organ. It wasn't like a yeah, sure. real pipe organ, but it was still just like, oh, okay. I mean, so I just would take my Barnett there all the time with that. And that, unless I gave a formal concert, then I would bring the Thames. But it uh, it worked. And most of that stuff was relatively sight-readable stuff. So I didn't really worry too much about working it up. But so anyways, basically, you were so focused on sight-reading, you didn't know how it sounded. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Well, that and the, the, that that's not a bad point. You're true. You're right on that, you know. And then the other thing is the the Barnett has those sound holes on it. So it's it's right. great cuz you really hear what so you're, you're doing. Talking, you're talking about the sound hole on the top. Yeah, not so like you can the hear yourself hole. a little bit better. Yeah. So there's a sound hole on the upper bottom of the guitar that projects the sound up right towards your face rather than all away from you. And it just uh so the responsiveness seems like it's a lot better than the Thames because I'm hearing it right away. Like it doesn't sure. go out and come back. It just goes right into my face and uh, or ears. But uh, it's deceptive because it can seem like I'm a lot louder than I actually am just because of that. You know, whereas like with the Thames. Yeah, you kind of have to get used to it, I'm sure. 
Oh yeah, yeah. So it you're like, oh wow, I must be really loud. And they're like, I can't hear you. But in this case, they were. Go- of course, most of that stuff was like strumming with some light single line stuff in there. So, whatever. Uh, but the the sound holes are always a, decept- a weirdly deceptive thing because you can think that they're doing one thing, but it's really not what the audience is hearing because of the distance and everything else. It's just coming straight back at you. It's always like I've heard some people say they won't they won't play without sound holes. Like they need that in their guitar to get the yeah. immediate. Uh, I never had one like that. It, I've always been intrigued. Well, you know, sometime when we see each other face to face, I'll bring the barnet. You can ride out. Record wood air metal face to face. Yeah, exactly. That would be an interesting episode. Not <clears throat> yeah. really. It, would it be more? It'd be fun. Could throw yeah. stuff at each other. It'd be great. Exactly. It, actually, it reminds me of. A, I'm going to side tangent a little bit. Um, yeah. I don't know if you had this experience at all, based on what I've heard about your story, starting to play, but so I started when I was like ten or so. My family religiously went to church um but we went to kind of like we we grew up episcopalian and it was wasn't particularly popular (laughs) (laughs) um you know so we i don't know there was 50 to 100 total people maybe in the church maybe Hmm. so it's mostly organ but as soon as i started playing guitar you know we knew everybody in the church including the organist and stuff so they'd be my mom would be like you know tim plays guitar and like so the i started playing guitar at church you know yeah and a yeah. lot of it though was like the luther it's like the lutheran book you know the yeah. the hymns and stuff yep and i recall early on and of course i had an ego about playing guitar you know and i was like 11 or 12 you know i'd been playing for like a year and i knew some chords <clears throat> but i was at the stage where like i could switch chords but it wasn't it wasn't like so automatic, you know. I had to think about it still. And there were certain chords that were really hard for me. And yeah. the guitar I was playing on was horrible. Yeah, <laughs> your tone the action yeah. it was like Yeah, just like an awful So but I remember one time the the organist so I, I kinda like you know, the organist was so loud <clears throat> that I could get away with not really playing very well. Right, yeah, you just no. basically couldn't hear it, or it like, if there's a G chord, I'd get that, but if it was an F chord, I was like, yeah, you know. <laughs> so though I remember one time though, I went to church and I still remember this, and the organist was sick or something, I couldn't make it, so it was all gonna be guitar, like doing the, oh, and I was only like twelve or thirteen, and of course I'm like, yeah, I can do it, you know, <laughs> and I remember <laughs> sitting there, like freaking out about it, right. And I don't think like no one in the church probably cared at all. Yeah. And it it probably was not very good. But I I do remember just sitting there on my hand like this, like practicing the chords. I was like, like religiously through the service and stuff, like just to try to get it. It was. This is all a long-winded point to say like, there's a lot of guitar players I know that had to. Oh, what's the I'm blanking on the term, like the school of hard knocks or whatever through the church system. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And, and mine was a lot different than a lot of people. I think like, especially like gospel and stuff like that. People that grew up in those churches, like they didn't get away with anything. Like they're really, like, yep. you had to like step up. <clears throat> and it was a weekly gig in a way. Right. Or more. Uh, I guess luckily in a way, my church was, since I'm not very religious, but I used to be, 
the it was only like once a week or maybe twice a week but a lot yeah. of like the more gospel churches right there like multiple days a week the bands rehearse and whatever but anyway are <laughs> it's it's a gig it's not necessarily guitar friendly mm -hmm. and yeah. there's a lot of sight reading yep. and you can really like hone a lot of chops doing that so by the time you know after years of doing that it got a lot easier and then even when I went to music school, um, originally we had to play piano and I'd, you had to play out of the hymn, the, the hymn book. So that means four part harmonies yep. mostly. Right. And they're all not necessarily made for piano either. Right. <clears throat> and so it's not like you're like, Oh, G chord. So it's going to be like this. It's no, they were, it was made for voices. It was made, yeah. you know, it's written that way. So yeah, I mean, it, it made it so that when I went to music school, I could, do that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like it was extremely valuable. And I, I yeah, think people that don't have that, they really miss out on a lot of, a lot of just like getting your chops up, especially yeah, yeah, like chord, chordal stuff or whatever, just, really just to be able to hang to, to like lead a whole service of people mm -hmm. singing who are relying on you. And especially if they're used to hearing, the organ or whatever that can give a lot of cues and it's a lot harder to do that on the guitar. So not only do you have to like on the guitar, what I find out is you, you couldn't just get away with playing the chords. Yeah, you, had you had to lead the melody. Yep. So you, you were playing yep. the melody within the chord. So I had to learn all that kind of stuff. It took a little while to do it, but you realize pretty quickly that like no one started on the right pitch or whatever, if you didn't give them the little like cue. <laughs> Because nobody can, you know, there's like the three people, you know, or whatever that can sing. Yeah. And, well, there, isn't there there's a piece by Ives that uh, simulated that? It, it's wickedly fun to listen to. It's not something for background uh, music because he has like the singers singing in a different key than the piano. Oh, nice. Yeah. And like the time signature. That's pretty much what I grew up with. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he did it. He's like, he wanted to imitate like a church service. So he has like, you know, the piano's doing one thing and the vocalist is, you know, close enough to sound awfully off. You know, yeah, so you'd like, always have the, the couple people that could sing like the main melody and then you get like one or two people that would sing one of the counter melodies mm -hmm. <clears throat> or like the tenor part or the, the out, usually the alto part you would hear. Even a guy would sing the alto part. I think it's just, yeah easier to read or whatever but uh yeah you'd get that and you'd get this the one person and sing the harmony occasionally and but then everyone else was like a mixed bag of who knows where it lands because and even that like the a lot of the praise music you know that's this popular now that's sort of like the youtube -y praise music kind of thing yep. <clears throat> it's so, those songs are so simple and oh, like yeah. um meant to be simple and meant to be like singable but a lot of that like the lutheran like hymnal book or whatever <clears throat> that stuff's not necessarily easy at all some of it's oh, really yeah. hard to sing yep and it, it you're wasn't... like you have like the reg like it's not really made for regular people to sing it's kind of like the star spangled banner or something like it really is like three octaves and you're like no one ever sings that so a lot of those <laughs> things are they're not really made for the masses in a way. Well, they're I made think for choirs. They're made for the masses in the sense that back then, you know, everybody would have instruments in their homes, like <clears throat> significantly more piano wise and like, or, you know, some well, type we're talking of really back 
maybe not quite Bach time, but not long after that. Probably a lot of that stuff. Well, that's was for written. the Lutheran. The Lutheran time is right around Bach. Like if not, yeah. I say it's like it's it's close to that time. So there's a lot of that influence in that music, right? Bach reharmonized tons of Lutheran hymns. I yeah, mean, that's what so he a lot of those are Bach things. Which is yeah, yeah. Which is also why it's so stinking hard. Right. right? One is hard to kind of play too. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. But yeah, you get really good. It's. I don't know what I'm really trying to say, but I'm just saying if if you hadn't had that experience, um, you're probably going to meet some people that have, and mm-hmm. that's it's hard to. Uh, there's not really many other things that are quite like that experience of learning no, to no, play no. music I mean, in a church. It's a different setting when you have to pull a congregation of yeah. people along with you rather than just perform. You know, it, it, it's just different. There's a lot more to be aware of because you're kind of, at the same time that you're playing, you're making sure that everybody is coming along with you. And if they're not, right. it's not their, it's not necessarily their fault. It's sometimes you, you have to see so blatantly clear about entrances and endings and repeats that it's you, the amount of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Leading and projecting that these, this is where we're going with right. this. That happens. Yeah, sometimes you have to save the ship. Yeah, and that, that's exactly. a great like. It's a, that's the same thing if you're playing with singers or whatever. Sometimes people don't catch up to you, and you have to go back to a spot. You can't just like stick to the page necessarily. Yeah, and then again, like you can't just play the chords. You got to watch the melody, and mm-hmm. and even with those pieces. There was no chord charts. There, no. Like, I was reading how it would be like G, D, B, F or something, you know, and you're like, okay, well, that's a G7 chord, right? <laughs> and, like, you'd have to read in that kind of, like, G7, mm-hmm. and then it does, you know, you were reading it that way. I, yeah, now, I started initially, that. I would write the little things above it to help myself. Mm-hmm. And you start to learn, too, like, because a lot of times the, the harmony was changing every beat. Yeah, and you begin um, to. But then you're like, that's not really what it was. Those are more like passing chords, so you could get away with playing G to E minor yeah. or whatever. Um, but it, that chord in between, you didn't really have to hit it necessarily. See, so you, you just learn all these little things, especially when it's just like pure sight reading notes. Yep. And then being able to harmonize it, it's, it's a really great skill. And you, you won't get it unless you have to do it. Like, why would you do it otherwise? You wouldn't just do yeah, it at exactly. home. Yep. <laughs> like, you only do it because you have to do it. That's exactly what I was doing at that church, talking about doing that with the Barnett. It was yeah. basically like, open the hymnal and go, all right, what key am I in? There's a basic harmonies. You know, and if I ever get, got lost, quote unquote, I'd just sight read the top line, or the, t- the, t- the soprano and the alto voice. Right play that and then get it okay then i'm on a g chord and this and this and it's just filled in so it was always fun to do that i mean yeah. with my first experience growing up it was i like one of the guys that i learned a decent amount of guitar from uh was uh it, it the, the church had a rock band so to speak like trying to do that type of thing and he was a great player i wonder what he's doing now but uh great player uh you know a strat and a marshall type of thing uh it was cool and then uh so i'd learned a lot from him just sitting underneath him and getting like oh this is how you do this this is how you solo this is like different right. little but things like that and so yeah, uh no solo, they would never do it 
they would never do it on a Sunday morning. I mean, this is a Baptist church, so even having like drums on the stage was cause of controversy for years. <laughs> so snake kettles, as they call them, and I'm like, well, they can keep time, so it worked. So <laughs> whatever. But the uh, you know, I I, remember, I I I did that forever. That's when I had that uh, Paul Reed Smith. That's a, it's like nostalgia factor for that, and. Um, then what? Basically, yeah, I just kept doing my own thing. That's where I got to see Phil Kagi, and that kind of like spawned everything else, and kind of left that yeah. behind us totally. But I, that, uh, like, the gospel players are like those guys. Yeah, it's a whole other thing too. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other realm. I mean, those guys really know what they're doing, comparative to that. I mean, it's it, it was funny. I was talking with another friend of mine where he's like, "Yeah, we did like a mixed church thing recently," and he's a keyboardist, and he was like, "Yeah, they they were all over the place in a good way." He's like, "I'm a singer and a keyboardist, and I couldn't. I just stopped trying to keep up." He was like, "Forget it. I'll let them take the music, and I'm going to sing the tune." Uh, and he's like, "It was a lot better of an idea because those cats were smoking." Oh yeah, and, there's a lot and, of great and, players that come up oh, yeah, through that. For sure. That's uh, they are on point, and you need to be. I mean, those you got that that music. If you don't get up out of your seat, you're dead. Like regardless of where you are religiously, that that stuff when they get it grooving, man, look out. It's, it's I almost awesome. took when I first went to music school. I I almost took and I went to this a Baptist church, and there was a guitar. They needed a guitar player. It was a gig for money, but they were really like five hour long services. Mm -hmm. And I was in college, and I'm like, I can't. And it was like twice a week too. I'm like, I can't do like Not 10 plus hours. Now, in hindsight, maybe I should have because it would have, you know, would have been a good like experience. Yep. But it's, I was thinking like, I don't have time. And I was also a swimmer and all this other stuff in college. So I was already spending like seven hours a day, like working out and whatever yeah. else. So then it's like seven hours of this and then like 10. I was just too much to give up. But it mm -hmm. was cool. Um, Everybody was super nice to me, mm -hmm. but I didn't, I didn't end up doing it. It was just too much time. Yeah, and that's what that's what happens eventually. I mean, it's a good problem in one sense to have to say no to a gig because yeah, yes. Some, now again, I, in hindsight, probably would have been like the experience would have been better off doing it. Yeah, uh, um, for sure. In a lot of ways, especially like now or whenever I think about it. Like, I here's a, just a general rule of mine: is I pretty much try to make my default answer to gigs is yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that, and, uh, that's, I do the same thing. And, and, and only don't do it if it's, there's some like certain things that really, well, you know, it'd have to be pretty extreme reasons not to do it for the most part, or I just can't do it because of time or something. Yeah. That's usually my big thing, uh, is the time factor. Like if, yeah. if I can do it, then I probably will. But, you know, now that it, with a wife and kids, that changes. When I was first married, it was like yes to everything. I didn't have kids, so it didn't matter. Right. You know, like unless like Julie had a date planned or whatever. Sure, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. And then I had my first kid, and I was like, yeah, that's gonna gonna. That's <laughs> a lot more things to factor in now. Kid, baby, yeah, it's it a lot more complicated. And I mean, my kids are significantly older now, so it's a little bit easier to just get up and go. And that'll increase, but you know, it, uh, it's just the way that it is. Um, I just, uh, yeah, it's just, the, the, the reason you do it though, too, is well, one, it's fun to play gigs, but yeah, two, it's like impossible to mimic the experience of a gig. Mm -hmm. Even if all you were doing was like strumming chords, you'll probably learn something and get better. And it's, it's better in a way that you couldn't do on your own at home at practicing. 
Yeah. Well, they'd say that. Uh, I don't know who said it. I read it somewhere. Whether one gig is equal to ten practice sessions in terms of what you can glean from it. Oh, at least. Right. Yeah, at least you know. And, 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 and some of it's like you would never get it. You would. Yeah. You don't get the experience, especially like gear and amps and like volume and stuff. Like you can't mimic it at home. It's not mm-hmm. the same. It's not. It's it's like having a live audience. Well, the live audience factor. Yeah, the audience. It changes the sound. The uh, the amount of time that even having that gig in your um, or like in your uh, sights. As yeah. coming up, will get you to practice more. At least it should. You shouldn't get that cocky to be like, "Nah, I'm just not going to practice for this." Well, a I don't lot think of times too, like a warm up. Like, I, ideally, I, I, I need or I like to have two hours of warm up. Yeah, but yeah. so many times, even if I played during the day, I still want that two hours before, like prior to the gig, to warm up. That's when I really feel the best. Is about two hours. Most of the time, I get five minutes. You know, <laughs> so you have to like. <laughs> Learn how to deal with that. And even if you have a little bit of time, you have a lot of people coming to talk to you and you can't really like yep. get in that zone. Yep. That um, was and it's like, sort yeah. of rude to like just go back in the green room in a way. You can kind of get away with it if, if there's a green room, like to sort of get yourself together. You have to kind of weigh all these things and people are interrupting you and you're trying to – today, you know, you have all these like – videos you're trying to set up and you're just like all these things like there's just so many things you're trying to do and maybe there's not a green room so you're just sitting out with everybody else yep um i mean when i uh it's steve told me about uh, my old teacher told me about a thing that he did like after the gfa he was doing this tour and he's like this is before gps or cell phones or anything else like that and he's like i'm driving to a gig and i take a wrong turn and i'm like Normally, I'll have like an hour or so of padding to warm up before I get out on stage. And he's like, I'm just praying that I show up at this place at right. some point reasonably close to the, the time that I start. And he's like, I walk in like 15 minutes late. He's like, I got lost. And I went from the car to the stage, yeah. which is usually like, oh, God, this is going to suck. Right. <laughs> this is going to be like dive. But he's like, I nailed the thing. He's like, I just nailed it. You know, so he's like this, this, this whole I got to have practice time, which it does make sense. And I yeah. totally do. Sometimes there's no way you're going to get that experience outside of just showing up sometimes. You just got to do it. Where my GPS went wrong and I was playing in a master class at CIM and uh, I'm driving up there and it's like it had me like three streets over from where I was. And this was before an official GPS thing. It was like on my old Verizon phone. It wasn't even a droid like previous to that. And I was just like, ah, and they called me. They're like, dude, where are you? And I'm like, I'm on my way, but I, I don't know where I am. Yeah, right, I'm like yeah. in the area. And so they talked me through how to get there. And I got there. Like, and it's like confusing. I- that, that's, by the way, that's like in a confusing area of Cleveland yeah. to get to. It's not like, it's not like you get off the highway and you're at CIM. Right like, you no, got to yeah. like, I'm, so that's the, the worst part of that area is it's really nice over there, but. Yeah, it's sort of a pain to get there if you don't know how to get there. Exactly. And so I like literally show up, grab my guitar, walk in, and they're like, we're ready for you now. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, I was supposed to do the leg road to the 998, and I've just been driving, you know, white-knuckled for the last 45 minutes. Uh, Screw it. I'll do it anyways. And it actually went pretty well. Like, I I was pretty happy with how I played with that. Um, 
But in, it, uh, that's clearly not ideal, though. I don't want to bank on that every single time. It's like, oh, Damn. I just showed up, so I, I'm just going to play brilliant. So that's usually not how it goes. It's like it, it, I've had plenty of other situations where it's been bad. But I've also had plenty of situations where I've warmed up and it didn't go as well as I've liked. And, you know, it's all a matter of the bottom line is you have to put in the time consistently to get the right. either result. I mean, well, it's, it, also, it's also like you you think it sounds a certain way. Yes, the audience doesn't hear it that way. You hear other little things, you know. But yeah, that's just exactly. nature. Yeah, but yeah, you, you got to get used to that. I mean, I find most of the time with gigs, it's not so much whether I can play or not, though. Um, it's how it sounds. Like so mm-hmm. many times, you can't hear yourself at all as a guitar, especially with amps. So, like, amps are very directional. Like a bass, mm-hmm. if you play bass, it kind of like spreads everywhere. So you can kind of hear it pretty well, um, even if you're not in a good spot. But like guitar, the amp is on the ground, it's pointing at your feet, and you just can't hear it. Especially the drummers, like cymbals are right next to you or whatever. So you can't hear it, then it's really hard to perform like that. Yes, you just you, you lose all subtlety. Because you don't even know what that means, you know. Because yeah. you can't, you can't hear it. It's just like, and every and everyone tells you, "Oh, it's super loud already." Can you turn down? <laughs> That's it. The quintessential guitarist conundrum, you know. Even like, I guess I have one advantage. But when I'm doing classical things, it's I don't have to worry about competing with other instruments. Generally right. speaking. You know, I have to worry about the guy sneezing in the back or whatever. You know, that's all that kind of gets over the volume of what yeah, I'm but playing. But if he sneezes, then you can like squeak your chair a little bit if you're uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. Or if I sneeze, that's right. when it's like it's not time to clap, but everybody can move in their chairs as they get ready for the next movement. You know, uh, and then at the they end of the change movement, that rule, by the way. Yeah, I I agree, but I also think that to some of the passages and the difficulty level of them. Without amplification, having somebody start to clap in the middle of it is enormously distracting. No, and I mean the when you have like three movements or whatever. Oh yeah, no clapping. No ever. clapping after each movement. Oh yeah, no, I agree. And you know, some people, most people do it anyways. Like that don't know the, the quote unquote decorum, and I, yeah. and I don't care. It means that they liked it, so I'm not going to get like offended if they clap yeah, right. at the wrong time. You know, I I might get a little bit not upset, but like distracted and frustrated that I couldn't focus enough if I'm doing something really hard hard, and somebody like starts to do something. I I had that happen once at a wedding, once at, like in the prelude thing. I was doing like a barrio uh, the uh, misa por amor de dios. And like, just, you know, as a prelude thing. And some yeah. guys started, you know, hooting and hollering in a good way, you know, but I was like, uh, uh, where am I? Okay. And then just kept going. Sure. So that's what part of that's Cause you're just not used to people doing that. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing too. Uh, and I never expected hooting and hollering at a wedding, but right. you know, with weddings, you have, to, I guess I have to open my mind a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> to the, uh, the participation of the, uh, thing I did, uh, the last wedding I just did. I did a little bit of stairway to heaven because it was a smaller wedding in a backyard and I was doing all, you know, nice wedding stuff. And then one of the people in the audience, because it was, there was maybe 20 people there and I wasn't that far from him. This lady was talking about, oh yeah, we should get him to do some stairway or something. And I just like, you know, I glanced at her and just started the beginning of it and got the whole place laughing and then went back into what I was playing. Yeah. Like, hey, all right, they're talking about it. You know, it's not like I'm going to be doing the whole Stairway to Heaven thing. <laughs> <laughs> For wedding prelude music, it doesn't work too well. No one really wants to hear the whole song anyway. 
Yeah, not really. It's either the beginning or the solo, one of the two. <laughs> that's all that counts. Like, oh, yeah, rest- that's right. This song's really long. <laughs> it's like seven and a half minutes long. How did this happen? So, <laughs> stairway. Wow. That was, that was fun. A little bit of a breakout there of uh, fun stuff. And then for like, uh, I had I did an arrangement of uh, All You Need Is Love for the recessional. Nice. And then, yeah, so that was kind of cool because they sent me they sent me an arrangement of it on a YouTube video. And it's like the guy was clearly just first and putting it out there rather than being <laughs> really, really good. Because it's like the cinematography was great and his playing was just god awful. Like his tone was off, just horrendous. It would have been better to just play with a damn pick than use his fingernails. What's wrong and with the pick? It, it, on a nylon string classical thing. Hey, he said he was What's playing classical. What's wrong class. with a pick? I can tell you a lot that's wrong with a pick. <laughs> but that being said... Says, says the guy with plastic fingernails. Exactly, well, because my fingernails are weak. It's genetics. There's nothing I can do about that. The Apparently, pick, pick-like material for fingernails. Got it. <laughs> exactly. So, it's genetic. I can't do it. It's just the way that it is. The um, But anyway, so the... uh. The video was just atrocious playing. Just, I was like, what? And so I, I texted the, the, the couple and I'm like, hey, do you, uh, are you totally sold on this arrangement or can I do something of my own? You know, and, and they're like, oh no, that was just like, we'd really like to tune. I'm like, all right, I'll come up with something. And I, I did a much, well, I mean, I, I think I did a much better arrangement, but it wasn't hard. It was relatively simple. I mean, he called me and he said yours was horrible, but. <laughs> he's like yeah, yeah i'm putting him on the blacklist that's it next time i get married i'm not using that guy so <laughs> but it was that was the one where the the bride picked the the brower uh prelude from sweet two which was like how the hell did you discover this song i mean is she a classical musician or like uh like into classical guitar or what and and he, because I was like, this is just so, I've heard the tune. I just never considered it for a wedding. Yeah. And I was like, this is not easy. Like, it, it, it's Brower and it's Brower. Was it Uncle sp- Leo for her? <laughs> yeah, that would have been, I don't think I would have been able to play. You know, oh, my Uncle Leo's coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I quit. Um, so that happened in a competition with somebody. They, uh, Dean's like showed up. Like he was playing at the competition, at but he was end of the stage like this. No, exactly. Like this girl was playing this uh, set that had one of Dean's songs in it, and he was at the thing, but he wasn't supposed to be judging. Like he wasn't supposed to come into the room just for that reason, you know, the intimidation factor. And he just walked in in the middle of this girl's performance, and she, like she caught walked, him. she caught him yeah. in her eye or whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, he, like, waited until she was done with the song and came in through the doors. And, you know, not a lot of people file in and out during a competition. So you, she glanced up and, holy crap, there's a composer of the next piece I'm going to play. Intimidation factor, it was already pretty high. Now it's, like, through the roof and getting into orbit. And so there was this huge debate amongst all the judges. Is like, so do we put her through? Because she had an extraneous how did you factor. Get those? This is like, how did you get that information? How did I? The, the judges I, were debating that because I know one of the judges. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so it was like you know they were they they were like yeah we were sitting there and talking about it. it's like well it's kind of not fair because she got an extra thing put on her versus everybody else they didn't have the end show up and I get that argument completely I can it's that right. I can I see that point 
and she played really well. But the question was, is did she play well enough to get to the next round? Yeah. The, and yeah. that, so it was a big hubbub and they put her, it was full of controversy and, you know, it's controversial as classical guys can get. <laughs> I am, what have you said? serious. Yeah, exactly. We don't and stuff like that. But no, uh, it, it was just like one of those things. And she didn't end up making it to the final round, but she, she at least got promoted to the, the next thing. Um, and but that was still, you know, something to talk about and get angry about for everybody else. <laughs> Regardless, she, you know, she never went through, yeah. It's it, but that is an actual intimidating thing. Uh, playing somebody else's music is always a little bit you're more aware of what you do wrong when the comp guy that wrote the piece is sitting there. You know, it, sure. it definitely puts another layer of the nerves on. I had that happen when I like when me and Jim were talking in that interview about the when we did the Man of La Mancha, you know, I played all of his arrangements of everything. And then I and did one of the going. shows. Yeah. And he was in the audience, but nobody told me he was there, which was a smart move because it went off without a hitch. You know, and, and I'm like, God, if I would have known that he was sitting there, I would have been a little bit more con self-conscious of what was happening. Yeah, sure. Um, but anyways, so yeah, that's uh, that. And speaking of classical and labels, you recently had a tie a year ago. That post is from a year ago? From a year ago, yeah. Oh, wow. I thought it was pretty recent. So, and, oh, yeah. That, that was one of those, like, Facebook reminds you what happened a year oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then I so, kind of read it, and I, so I sent it to Adam. I'm like, this might be an interesting topic. And so we're going there. I, I segued pretty nice on that one. I'm, I'm going to pat myself on the back with that, with my talking hands. So, <laughs> but, yeah. So you're basically driving at what this thing is, like, looking out with the con looking out for the concept of labels to be limiting yourself into a particular box, you know, like, you know, I'm a right. jazz or I'm a classical musician or I'm a rock guy or I'm a, uh, whatever, you yeah, know, you're, I'm a metal. We're using, uh, we're trying to use those labels, but it's really even deeper, right? It's like, I am a fusion jazz fusion uh, of the seventies style. And I'm a, Gent, yeah, gent metal guy and you know it's, it's yep. much more like specific but yeah the the rant was basically how unfortunate it is for creative musicians to um like change whatever they really like like about music so we all have the things we like whatever they are um you know i grew up on metal and rap and all this stuff but i love jazz and uh, I love modern classical. Or I love all classical. There's a, there's a lot of music that I like. So when I write music or I perform, those influences are going to come in there. Or, you know, ideally they do because that's the stuff that I love. And as an artist, that would be the things that I would, you know, presumably be best at representing as the things that I like. But what happens, in my opinion, far too often is when you do that, then people say, well, that's not jazz or that's not rock or that's not this, or that's not that. I mean, I run into this all the time with yeah, yeah. <laughs> your red side visible. Is it metal jazz? Is it fusion? Is it? Yeah. It literally just happened. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's mostly like, well, why don't you just make the music that you hear, you know, whatever it is. Cause that's, that's what we really want to hear is like the honest take on it. But so many people say, well, I can't do that because I need to fit nicely into this little um, thing. 
I think for the most part, like the the box thing, it's a it's a the way I'm looking at it is like everybody needs a particular point of reference to talk about what they're doing. And there's nobody, there's unique aspects of music, but you can't be, well, I don't sound like anybody else. It's like, well, you don't know, of course. Yeah, but the labels have... come after, though, right? The, la yes, the labels exactly. shouldn't come before. That's my, me and my thing. So you, and then, I, I, I get, I, I get it. That like, you, you can't just say we're the newest thing in the world and no one's ever heard yeah. anything like it because that's probably not true. Um, but you shouldn't say, well, we're going to be the number one tools cover band whatever, and only do tool like songs. Um. If but, you also uh, like whatever, but you, the problem is, uh, listeners do the same thing. They say, "That's exactly you, where you I was don't going." Fit, you don't fit nicely in this thing, so I'm not going to listen to you. And that's the, the the labeling is an extraordinarily subjective thing. Like when right. you, one person considers, you know, gent stuff, the other person will be like, "No, that's just heavy, heavy, yeah. uh, heavier Definitely metal." On that. With the, the metal community is horrible with this. Yeah, it's like it, no, it just goes under the term metal. Okay, that that's it. Yeah. It, it, and yeah, but for a lot of people, metal is like Cinderella, yeah. and, right? And that's yeah. way different than Bolt Thrower and Napalm <laughs> Death, right? Like true, true, absolutely. absolutely. So God, you wouldn't I even consider them the same, you know? Yeah. Warrant, Warrant is not the same as uh, Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, and, and it I would be you'd be hard pressed to to call them similar yeah but I they all both fall into like metal so which would be like hair metal and death metal or whatever you know or grunge yeah. metal dark metal god only knows how many different terms they have for the stuff yeah. and that's part yeah. of the the thing too is like you're well i you can almost look at it like in an evolutionary chart where you have like one particular species and then subsets of that species yeah that, for that, sure and that, that I think, in one sense, that's another form of evolutionary process. With that, you're going to have your big like, okay, classical is this, but then you have like your thing of like Baroque, Renaissance, uh, the classical era of classical music, not just classical yeah. music. Um, classical <laughs> is such a terrible term. I know. It, it, I completely agree. It's like, um, but especially like because it means so much stuff too. Yes. It's like was well, it orchestral, and even that. Mm -hmm means a lot you know yep. a... well the, the bottom line is is we're trying to, to continually describe things in uh, with labels because we need to have that there's got to be some as much as we don't i get where you're coming from and i agree with you in terms of like trying to avoid the labels but as we're wired psychologically and just uh, even species wide it's like we need to be able to put something on it to be able to recognize the, it. the labels are fine after the fact what I was sort of implying was if you grew up on hip hop and country music and death metal, but you play jazz, cause that's really like your, like it's okay to let those influences in, even if West Montgomery didn't do it, you know, mm -hmm. like, but the problem is when you do that, people are going to say, well, it's not jazz or whatever. What I'm saying is you shouldn't care. You shouldn't care what anyone calls your music. If you think mm -hmm. it's good based on your influences and what... Cause all you can do is play to your influences. Like, 
one way to write a song is is to be like, well, I'm going to take this song that already exists and I'll make sort of a variation of my own on it. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what a lot of people do to sort of fit in these niche, his niche, niches. But if you were creating just based on your influences, so that's a different. Now that's like coming from inside. You're not trying to just like copy something else. Then what would come out is is all the influences that you you like. You know that that's going to come out because you're not trying to be derivative of something else necessarily. I mean, you're going to be derivative of the things you like, but for a lot of people, that could be. Um, that's not like all I ever listened to is Jim Hall and West Montgomery. So that's all my music sounds like Jim Hall and West Montgomery. You probably listen to other stuff. You might have listened to Cher at some point and the Beatles and yep. um, Cannibal Corpse and Tupac or whatever. And if you're really like creating, in my opinion, from your like heart and soul, then the music that you create is going to have elements of those things that you liked and that resonated with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. As opposed to being like, well, I'm supposed to be a ja- I'm supposed to be a jazz guitar player, and jazz guitar players only play this kind of stuff. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ignore my other influences, and just do this thing. And so that, you're never gonna ignore your other influences. That's well, people do though. That that's the problem. People always do. I think that they try to, but you're not. In one sense, it's it's like the, uh, the what do they call it the I'll just use my own terminology, the rebellion response, where it's like the psychological thing of like, you know, some people are controlling. So what other people do in response to that is they do completely opposite of what that person is trying to tell them. There's there's certainly people that do it, but the jazz police forever, you know, whatever, they'll get in the way, right? Yeah. Yeah, but my point with that is saying that when you're saying that I'm not going to use my influences, you're still using your influences to not use your influences. You know what I mean? Am I making sense? I'm making sense to me. I don't know. Like, I'm not sure I get your point. I mean, I think maybe I do, but... All right, let me re- rehash that a little bit and try to make a little bit more sense. I mean, sense you, of- you know what your influences are, presumably. Yeah. Or at least oh, somewhat. So you could say, well, I'm not going to do that because I know exactly. what that is. But, but that's it's- still using that influence as a point of reference to go to something else. So in one sense, you technically maybe. are using that. You know, and but I mean, whatever. you're saying that, or what you're is what you're saying is, I started writing this thing. I was writing a jazz tune, but man, that part in the the bridge really just sounds way too much like a country tune or whatever. So that I love, so I'm not gonna do that. Yes, to an extent. It will take. Let's take this example. When I did that track for the game, like I wrote it, I thought it was great. I thought, you know, like I was happy with the way that it sounded and everything. And I sent it to a, a friend of mine. He sent it back, and he's like, "Dude, it's." Or he replied, "He's like, dude, that's totally like the Doom soundtrack." And I was like, "Oh, holy shit! <laughs> it, it, it it totally is." I'm like, "Oh my god! I just ripped off Mike, whatever the hell his name was." You know, and, and it, it's different. It's not like I'm stealing his tonality or anything yeah, like right. that. Yeah. But it was totally like in that vein. Vime, yeah. I was like, oh god, I thought I was like kind of not coming up with anything necessarily new, but I thought I was far enough away from those things to where it wouldn't necessarily be recognized. But it was. So what I had, and I went to the this like small psychological turmoil of like, oh my god, I just imitated this guy. 
I, I didn't do anything original. I just had it floating in my head, his music floating in my head. You know, it, it, the things that I think most creative people will do when they have something compared to like, oh yeah, holy crap, there it is. But then I got to a point where it's like, you know, yeah, of course it had an influence on me. One, I played through the game so, yeah, and I yeah. love the soundtrack and I listened to the soundtrack just by itself and it fits what I was doing, but it's not his music. It, I'm definitely been an influence, but it's definitely my own thing. So, you know, you just kind of like have to shake off that whole, oh my God, I sound exactly like this. And I can go through some of my own tunes and be like, you know, oh, that's a total, you know, edge lick from YouTube from when I listened to him right. like crazy in my teenage years. And, but well, that's, and part, part of like learning to write stuff is the whole mimic process, right? So that that's yeah. all important. You say, I wonder if I could make a Saturana tune. And mm -hmm. then you do it. And then it may or may not be good or whatever, but it's part of like the, or may, may or not, may not be accurate. But that's exactly, it's like Toke in that book. Mm -hmm. It was reharmonizing stuff. He would take like a, a theme from Mozart and try his own way to bring it back to the beginning and compare it to what yeah, Mozart sure. And he's like, oh, my God, I suck. And then he would try again and then try again right. and try again. Something to where he was happy with it. And that's what we have to do. Like, you, you don't form these things necessarily in a vacuum. We're always standing on other shows, even that we don't necessarily know, like whatever our parents played with us in utero or whatever. You know, it, 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 I still remember all my mom's LPs, you know, sitting at the house that, of James Taylor and that type of stuff that was sitting there. And yeah. though I don't turn on James Taylor now, and I don't think he's bad or anything like that. I just, you know, it's not something that I prefer to listen to. Um, it's that style of music still comes out in my own writing, like that folky thing. And even though I'm trying to be a little bit more complicated, which that's intentional, like I'm trying to get a little bit more, let's not be so tonal with this. But that's again, that pushing back against the influence and I'm still using that influence, but just well, using no, it. I don't know if that's, that seems different to me, or at least the way I was thinking about my rant. Okay. And because you exploring um, different things that are interesting, you're obviously interested in the, comp the, the more complex harmony or whatever. So it's not like you're fighting your influence. You, one of your influences is, is the complex harmony thing. So you're trying to figure that out, how you can use it, make your own way with it. Um, so that's all the, your, uh, the muse that you're using and the lens that you're creating is open to, to let you explore. You're not saying, um, well, Andrew York wouldn't do that. And he's the only one that, you know, Roland Deans wouldn't do that or something. Um, it, it would never be accepted in the classical guitar world. So I'm not going to do it. Um, yours, which again, the classical kind of stinks because it, <laughs> there's so much stuff that fits under that, that you're really pretty safe to do most anything as long as you don't put a distortion pedal on it for the most part, um, or play with a pick. You know, it, as long as it's in the score, that's it. I mean, even um, uh, my old teacher did a, an electric guitar gig with an right. orchestra. Or not, was it an orchestra or was it a choir? It was with a choir. And like, it was written for electric guitar. And he's like, I had to, he bought a Strat, he bought pedals, you know, none of the stuff he had before. The guy plays on like a $30,000 Wagner, but had to go out and buy like a $1,000 Fender Strat and amp and 
learn how to use all that equipment or better yet relearn because i mean i don't think yeah. any very few people just play classical uh relative to the greater guitar community so you know he's like asked and it's in the score of like okay turn on the distortion here and t- turn this effect off here and right. do this here and so on so like even then the the classical influence is there on top of his through composed electric guitar piece and that's uh well i guess i mean but would the classical guitar community accept that piece i don't know i mean i i do but i'm i i don't want to say like i consider myself pretty open-minded you know it's i'm in the sense of like would i call it a classical guitar piece no, I'd call it an electric guitar piece because it's written for an electric guitar. But I think that it doesn't uh, change the idea that it was com- composed versus uh, a different form of writing by ear. And I'm not poo-pooing either of those particular writing methods because I do the same thing. Like It's like, well, they did this by ear. Well, duh, it's an oral instrument. You're going to do it by ear. <laughs> Everything happens by ear. We, we use it as a judge. But the other thing with compositional aspects, and this is what I, I like about composing that with the, the written page, is that you get to a point, at least for myself, if I get into a writer's block point with the listening and using my ears, the compositional aspect is the thing that breaks that. Because then I start doing like the nine rules of composition, uh, uh, developmental ideas, uh, augmentation, diminution, reversing, you know, all that type of stuff. Uh, inverting, blah, 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 blah. And I yeah, take those- They're idea generators, right? Exactly. And so there are things that get me to the next thing and I doing it on the page is fun. It's always fun. Cause if I get into that mode, it'll be like late at night and I'm laying in bed with my composition notebook and I'll do that. And it's like, Oh, can't wait to hear what this sounds like tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes it's great. And other times it's like, Nope, Nope. Take this page. Sure. Let's get rid of that. That never happened. Um, but you know, what, it, just to, like for myself in terms of a label, I always, if people ask me like what I do, I'd say, yeah, I, I teach guitar at Kenyon College. I'm a professor of guitar there. And uh, they uh, did classical guitar. I teach everything, but I'm primarily classical right. guitar. And what kind of music do you play? Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I play whatever I darn well like, you know, if I'm going to put it out there and be like, this is just like, this is what I do. And most of that falls into a classical category. And that's why I use that term, you know, and what I, I just had somebody drill me with questions over the weekend at the, uh, a party that I was at and, you know, being like, oh yeah, we got guitars here. You can grab that and play that. And I'm like, yeah, probably not. Cause I'm left-handed, but oh, thank you. And then I found myself like doing the art, the tired artist thing. It's like, oh God, I got to explain myself to one other person. And I guess I wasn't in a social, you know, I wasn't, I just wasn't in a social mood that particular yeah, day. Right. So, and I'm not trying to be like the to overly sensitive, um, artist, uh, what sort of caricature? I just was like, I just, I don't want to talk about it right now. <laughs> I yeah. really don't. You know, it's like usually I'm talking about it all the time. But well, there's it, also we have so many experiences where people are like, oh, you play guitar, and then you know, oh, you, you do that for a living, or you play around and whatever. And then they're like, oh yeah, my buddy plays, and and they, yeah, he, yep. he, he learned the guitar solo from. Um, that or uh, some cream tune or something, you know. And you're like, he's amazing. He's like the greatest guitar player I've ever met. Like, yeah. And he, so you're like, yep. oh well, I play. Like we're not talking the same terms, and it's 
it's not meant to, he's not to try to be elitist, but it's just hard to like. Well, there's a huge gap between, yeah. yeah, and there's a huge gap between what myself or somebody else does and what this guy is perceiving as the good guitar type of thing. Right. That know? reminds me of that other thing I sent you about the, the chess yeah, I, score I, I, thing or whatever. Yeah, I was literally just about to go there with yeah. this. Good segue into the whole idea of what is expertise and that gulf of where you just kind of sit there like, ah, how do I break down 30 years of playing and 10 years of schooling, right. everything else to talk to you? And I don't mean that like condescending. It is a question that we have to come up with in a good way if we're going to actually, I don't yeah. know, have some type of social interaction with people. But it, after a point, it does get to be like, yeah, so again. what we're talking about is there was this write-up or whatever, basically that an adult can be a kid in chess even when they're not practiced or whatever, like 100 times out of 100. Mm -hmm. But then someone who has experience that's pretty good um, can beat a regular adult 100 times out of 100. But then like a grandmaster can beat that experienced person like a hundred times out of a hundred, at least the way this is written. You can, you can beat 10 of those guys at the same time. Yeah, 10, <laughs> 10 of them at the same time. Basically, it's just saying like if expertise expertise in different fields are all the same way. And the, mm -hmm. the problem there is the grandmaster in that case would really struggle to even explain to the novice adult what they're even doing mm -hmm. because they're not speaking the same terms. So the, the novice adult be like, well, you know, I move the King here or whatever. And I do this. They probably don't even know what an, they may may not know what an opening is or something, you know, yeah, exactly. and uh, why they would even care. And it's like the great master is not going to be able to explain why it's important to use these different things or whatever. And the same thing for music. It's kind of like, you start telling people and you sort of confide in them your your story and then <laughs> they kind of hit you with uh, uh, something that is we're obviously not speaking the same language you know mm -hmm. you're trying to be like real and like oh yeah I did this thing and I, this is the kind of stuff I'm really influenced with and they don't know any of that stuff mm -hmm. and they, they don't even have there's not even like a stepping stone in between you know exactly it's like how do you bridge that gap which i find that i'm a little bit more experienced with bridging that gap because i teach a lot yeah and i, con I constantly have to do that you know i have to break down all this stuff that i've known and present it to somebody that's literally never touched an inst th that instrument before so um it's like okay how do i break this down into chunks where they're going to be able to get what i'm talking about apply it to the instrument use it throughout the week and come back with the next step so I can give them the next uh, stepping stone in the process. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's an advantageous thing. And it, there's clearly like, there are bad teachers. There's no doubt. There's, there's bad teachers. There's incredible performers, but they might not be able to teach. And yeah. there's incredible teachers, but they might not be the best performers. And that's fine. You know, sometimes you can get the concepts to an extreme level and be able to teach those things because you know them so well. Like uh, in, in one sense, in the classical field, which uh, the, the biggest example of that is Bruce Holzman, who's a phenomenal player, but he doesn't concertize anymore. Yeah, I haven't seen a concert with him in probably 20 years or something like that, if not longer. Um, but he has this reputation of being an absolute master teacher. Yeah. And he earned that for two things. 
or, or not by two things. One by just teaching and getting that reputation. But then, like for a couple of years straight, all of his students were winning the GFA. You know, which is no slouch thing. He's in the and, mafia, I think, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they break your legs if you don't put these kids through. It works. You know, it's it's it's, it's how we succeed. So the uh, but anyways, the uh, you know, it's like I, I've never had a lesson with Bruce. I've known a couple of people that got. Uh, uh, trained under him uh some old friends of mine from university of akron went into and studied with him in florida and then uh i had when i was at youngstown uh francois got his phd under bruce and he, he he's you know with any type of uh that level of expertise there's many many stories going around about him yes. like one of the big things is that he would make students like absolutely have breakdowns you know over the course of their first semester because he was so demanding on stuff and I can get that, you know, but uh, Francois was like, it's, it's not that bad. You know, it's like the whole like Michael Jackson showing up at your door to use the bathroom story. It just tends to feed itself and, and be one of those things, uh, though there's no basis of it in reality. Though it, Bruce was very demanding as a teacher. Like one of the things that he would say is like he he was like, if you didn't come in with it prepared, he'd be like, then why are you here? Sure. <laughs> like, and you signed up to take lessons at the collegiate level to get better. I expect you to show up with that stuff set. Sure, and now granted, sure. Bruce had enough of a reputation where he wasn't getting the casuals in any way, shape or form. Yeah, sure. Uh, it would be very, very small. But one of the things I found interesting about that is he's like, yeah, he would have you do like a simple Giuliani study for a whole semester. Like every week you'd work on a new thing with it. And the point was, is to take those principles and those small areas, even though you're, you know, something very relatively simple, that a first year student would do, you're getting so into that piece and control over your hands that that's going to translate into everything else that you yeah, do sure. outside of that. And that, I, I like that teaching technique for myself personally. But anyways, with the expertise thing, the, uh, that d bridging that gap is difficult for many things. One of it, it's like the amount of experience that that person that's dedicated to it versus the amount of experience the other person doesn't have. The terminology, like what I say by one thing, the other person might not get have that same definition because they haven't been exposed to it in that thing so in right. a casual conversation it's like we're talking i'm saying dog they're thinking cat because that's what they've been exposed to or whatever you know it's not the same type of thing right uh and you're then, saying apricot like, and you're saying dog <laughs> yeah exactly it's, it's so there's a lot of stuff that goes into that and a good an effective communicator can take those things and make sure that you're all on the same field so that you can actually get somewhere in the conversation. And I think what was going on with myself that particular day, outside of having the emo, like, God, I don't want to talk about it right now, thing is I was just tired of talking about it at the yeah. time. It was like, I just don't want to do this again. And I don't really care right now. I just want to have a beer and relax and right. whatever. You know, let's talk about like, fire or something you know let's start a bonfire or whatever and it, it, it was all good you know not like anybody was rude or anything and i wasn't rude but it, that was like the poker face type of thing smile on the outside the the emo kid on the inside just wanted to go into a corner and write sad poetry but how sure, this guy sure. was asking about him <laughs> for uh, uh guitar stuff and why don't you go and get the guitar and play it's like yeah that's it's okay i, I, I gotta keep an eye on my kids yeah that's it gotta keep an eye on my kids yeah, so. you do get a lot of that. They don't, they don't, I don't, they're hoping that you'll play, you know, what is it, like, Brown-Eyed Girl or something, you know? Yeah, or something like that. Or, you know, oh, you play classical? Play Fur Elise. 
or <laughs> play some Beethoven, Beethoven. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I mean, it is kind of funny, you know, whatever. And it's tough. I get that it's tough to keep all the, the classical uh, names pronounced right. And I joke about it, too. Like, sometimes I just. Yeah, you know, I wonder, I, I think. Well, one one of the issues or issues, I mean, it's kind of people that are talking about music at all is good. But you end up just like dumbing it down because somebody will say like, Oh man, my favorite band. Like they're asking you about your music, but then they'll say their favorite band's Blink One Eighty Two or something, you know. <laughs> and then yeah, which is fine that that's their favorite band. Yeah. So exactly. you try to find some common ground. You're like, well, yeah, I never really got into Blink, but like I did like um, Nirvana or whatever. You know, like you're gonna you try to like find some common ground, even though like maybe you never played Nirvana in the last thirty years. Mm -hmm. Um whether you like them or James Taylor or something, you know, like, yeah, well, yeah. I grew up listening to James Taylor. Um, but maybe you don't play it or it's not something that really resonates with you, but you're trying to see, you never really get, you're never really talking about what you're working on, which is fine. But I guess what I was going to, what else I was going to say is music's kind of weird because other fields aren't like that. Like if you're a doctor or a nurse or something, people don't, well, some people question you there's obviously there's like the anti-vaxxers and whatever yeah. but in general it, they people just accept like well i don't really know what you're talking about doctor but i trust your opinion on medical things mm. and yeah i guess i will take that medicine you suggested yeah um yeah but when in the music world when they say well wow you're you must be a really good musician they don't say, well, who would you recommend listening to? And yeah. then if you say, well, oh, yeah, man, have you dug into Bartok's court? You know? <laughs> and like, it's just a, like every time I hear it, it makes me want to cry. Like, it's so amazing. Um, I just did that. I just did that when I was on vacation. Crying? No, I wasn't crying with Bartok, but I was like, we were talking about something. We got to know what we're listening to. And I'm like, yeah, I've been hooked on this Don Lee guy. No. composed. I'm like, I, I, I love this stuff. It's like, it's so cool. It's minimalist, but it's using very right. unique compositional, like band compositions and so on. He built his own mm. auditorium to be able to play the music and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, Jojo Mayer uh, did this video. And it's oh, like, that piece. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's that awesome. I'm like, this is absolutely incredible. It's like one of the yeah. best things I've heard in a long time. I've got Jojo's a great drummer. Uh, he's a really, really cool uh, piece. Yeah, the piece was incredible. And that's what got me hooked on Don Lee is Don Lee wrote that piece for them. And I was nice. like, okay, I'll have to well. hear that because I love that piece too. It was great. The album, the first album, again, is fan freaking tastic. It's like a, a Steve Reich type of thing with a six piece of, you know, drums, guitar, bass, strings, and saxophone. Nice. You know, it's just, it's wickedly cool. Like, I, I love it. And, it, you know, it's one of those, like you read his bio and his thought process and you're like, is this from that random composer bullshit generator thing or, or what? You know, to an extent, you know, because it, it kind of has that feel to it, but it's not that extreme. But uh, he does like his albums, he does it to fit in the space of an hour and he picks like absolutely precise, boom, 60 minutes and that's it. Nice. And each track lines up with that and he has like a particular, everything's in parts. So it's like... Uh, you know, he gets done with a piece and he'll hit uh, one of those meditation bowl things 
and it's like boom and then the next beat will still start but okay. it, it's not like it's like some silly gimmick it really flows together yeah you sure. know it's just part of the yeah it's just part of the thing and god man I, so i was talking up that piece by don lee and jojo mayer like crazy and he's like oh well can i hear it and i'm like sure <laughs> you know it, it, it's, you know I'm, I'm sitting there i'm like yeah i think he'll appreciate it but i don't think he's gonna appreciate it <laughs> either yeah. i think it's gonna be like okay I was telling you, know, you about one of my previous bosses, his yeah, sister PhD. or whatever was a PhD composer, and they went to the thing. Yep. Like she's a, like she's a PhD, and she was probably like forty or something. Like she she's been a musician for forty fifty when they went to this show. You know, professor in college, yep. dedicated her life to music. And he said the whole family was just like, yeah, she's gone off the deep end, you know. Yeah, exactly. and <laughs> like, instead of saying, you know, she could probably teach us a lot about music and like music appreciation, and maybe she could help us understand this music. They're like, no, <laughs> she doesn't even know what good music is anymore. Yeah. Oh God, I get that from my mom all this and my. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stepfather. Uh, basically, the extended family. When they yeah. realize yeah. what I like to listen to and what I consider to be like good on good. the edge of things and good, it, they're just kind of like uh, Beatles. And I'm like, yeah. that's probably not the subject we want to talk about. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it, it, which was funny because my mom took me to go see the Beatles love Cirque du Soleil thing. I'm like, I'm trying to think of like an analogy with a doctor. Be like, you know, so we're going to start your cancer treatment. Um, we're going to use Rituxan and this and the other. Start. And you're like, well, you know, I don't know much about that. But how would you feel if we used NyQuil instead? <laughs> yeah. or uh, Do you try to be cough lozenges? Any leeches or anything like that? Can we do that? Yeah. We have to check the humors first. I like the classic doctor stuff, not this newfangled medicine. Yeah, right. Let's go back to like, humors and bloodletting and everything else that we thought was going to work. Yeah, like I've taken uh, Tylenol before. Do you think that would fix it? Yeah, and I, you know, the the thing is, is with a conversation like this, like even with saying these things, it's like we're, I don't really want to try to come off too pompous. Yeah, with that, and and that happens with primarily it's with hard not, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and that one of the things that was thing I probably said this before, but the one GFA uh, a couple of years ago. I had both my brother-in-laws here from out of town. One of my brother-in-laws is a director of sculpture at uh, WVU, West Virginia nice. University. Yep, he's a, the head of the department there. And the other guy is now the artistic director at a very big cable company. Let's just leave it at that. I'm not sure if I should drop what he yeah, does sure. or not. Well, I'll leave that blank. Um, but anyways, the... Uh, it, the GFA set piece was a very, it was very esoteric this time around, like really scant on melodic material, but a lot of extended guitar techniques and quarter tone bends, you know, where he was doing a chromatic scale, but doing it like, it was wickedly cool, you know, yeah. like for me, knowing what he was trying to do. And my brother-in-law, that is the art guy from that particular company is like, I don't get it. This just sounds terrible to me. And I'm like, well, you know, it's like, they're not going for like, if you, if I was, a, I'm trying to like explain the hot in one sense, the high art form of it as yeah. being like, not, this isn't like basketball, like normal basketball in the sense of everybody wants to see the ball go in the net. This is more like, I want you to hit that spot on the backboard every single time. 
because ever and so the goal isn't to get it into the net the difficulty is hitting that spot the exact same time or it's the exact same thing every single so the difficulty is different and the end go- game with that is different he's trying to take the, the the hoop out of that situation and make it so that it's incredibly more difficult to hit and then my other brother-in-law that was a sculptor guy he's like listen he's he goes i've i've tried to explain high art to people that aren't into that thing and he's like it's he's like not no offense to anybody but it's just it's so hard to do like if you're not in it it's so tough you you know so one of the things i've had pretty good success with um because part of it is just my own experience so i remember when listening to more like atonal and like free jazz and all these kind of things when i first heard it i hated it like i really hated it um even when I, I liked a lot of classical music, but anything like 20th century, this is when I was like 18, 19. I, I just hated it. And it wasn't until I realized, this is kind of what you were saying too, but like the goal was different. What yeah. I was expecting to hear was um, melody and harmony in a certain way um, and rhythm, ryth- rhythmic things perhaps. Um, what I didn't realize with sort of let's say high high art or more abstract art is that's not the goal mm-hmm. the goal is emotional actually mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what i tell people now because i play in a group called night terrors and we do a lot of very abstract stuff and so what i tell people if they come especially if it's their first time seeing the group is like i'm, I'm like don't think of this like going to like a santana concert or something right this isn't what this is what you're gonna what you're gonna experience is that there's some things we're gonna play and they're gonna really like agitate you. But isn't that very interesting? Why mm-hmm. would it agitate you? Why does it make you feel uncomfortable? That's fascinating. Why would a sound make you feel uncomfortable? Exactly. Why, why does it give you that? And then you're gonna hear stuff that makes you feel relaxed and calm and it's gonna give you that's fascinating. Why does it do that? Then you're gonna hear something that makes maybe makes you sad or like nostalgic. Um, it's not it's not the melody, but there's something in the music that's happening that's triggering all these little emotional responses for you. And if you can get past this notion that all music must have a melody and it has to be three minutes long, and like if you can get away from that, like preconceived notion of what it's supposed to be and just let your mind and body and soul or whatever experience it um you can get a lot of it same same with like art like art like visual art a lot of people will will walk into a room and they're like my kid could paint that you know yeah (laughs) um and you're like well maybe but isn't it interesting that that was your response you know Mm -hmm. Why, why did you have that response? Why does it bother you? Why, why does it matter to you? Why, of all these paintings in this space, that's the one you noticed and yeah. you had a comment on it. That's kind of interesting. We have all these distractions. And that yeah, could also that's be the, the one you, you looked at it and you're like, that's stupid. I don't even get it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. There's a far side, it's a far side or some other comic strip where it has a picture of like two people looking at a painting and they're yeah. like, yeah, this person spent uh, 10 years 
and got an advanced degree in art and spent like several years coming up with this painting. And in the 30 seconds that I've looked at it, I just don't get it. And yeah. I don't, I don't like it and walked away. And it's like, well, you know, no, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> you're totally wrong on that. There's, there is the more, the, the thing that I found with art in terms of looking at visual art, it, yeah. th that helps bridge that gap is actually reading is like grabbing the program, opening it up and read like, okay, this is what they're trying to do with this. And then look at it, you know, yeah. cause there is intention, even if it's abstract, there's intention behind it for some type of uh, response from the person that they're making it for, whether it be for themselves or whatever. The, the bottom line is, is that that response is going to happen. And when you read about the intention, you, you start to get it, you know, you might not right. get it. The, it's like listening to an orchestra. The first time through, you might get one part where it's like, Oh, that was really cool. But you know, th that, that, part where he's got f f uh you know four different things in counterpoint you didn't catch because you were listening to something else that was going on at the same time and then the next time you play it through all of a sudden that other part comes out yeah. and it's like oh okay that was neat you know it, these things take multiple listens and experiences of it even visually or whatever to be able to pull everything that, that this you know expert at that thing has put into it because it's more than just <laughs> I like the tune, you know, and not that, and, but right. don't get me wrong. Those guys probably start with that idea. It's like, oh, I really like that. It could be like one bar of like six notes or whatever. And it's like, oh, I kind of like that little tune. And then they build that. And that's where the mastery comes into it. Yeah. Uh, taking small ideas and stretching it out over a half hour and 30 plus instruments and making everybody be able to pay attention to it. Like, that's just like, holy crap. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah. So it's like when I, I, I took, uh, I had a, a student of mine whose grandparents had box seats, front row box seats to the Cleveland or Orchestra, seasonal. So they nice. would continually go. And at that current time, somebody was sick. So they were like, hey, do you want the tickets? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And I was sick that day too. You know, this is probably a good, a good five, six years ago. Um, and but I was like, screw it, I'm rallying for this. So I day cooled it up and I'm like, let's go. Let's 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 you don't get front row box seats to the orchestra. And it was Mahler one on top of that. Nice. Or no, it was, it was either Mahler. Was it Mahler? Da -dee -da 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 -da. I think, yeah, I think it was Mahler or Brahms. God, I'll have to listen to it. No, it starts with the timpani, it's definitely Brahms. I think, yeah, it's late, anyways. So, either way. It was one thing that I had to see. It's like, I got to yeah, sure. see. And, you know, it started out with this really out there uh, atonal modern piece, which I was like, I don't think Julie's going to like this one. <laughs> and like, it, it, like, just because, like, I read it and I'm like, she's not going to like it. <laughs> this is going to put a damper on the evening. Because it was that, then it was a couple of Beethoven con piano concertos and then the, the Mahler. Um, and next thing you know, this piece is starting and I'm liking it. You know, it's not the greatest thing in the world to me at the current time. But I look at Julie and she's like bawling her eyes out. Hmm. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I guess she gets it. You know, not that she, I didn't think that she would. Yeah, right. But I didn't expect that level of emotive response from that particular piece. And uh, she's like, that was incredible. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's go. Yeah, Here right. we go. Let's, 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 let's get on with it. And the Beethoven was great. And the, uh, but the Mahler was just absolutely stupendous like they, they just knocked it out of the park so 
Anyways, so all that to say is like, the funny thing is, and this is, I think, that one of the great things about art is as much as you can be haughty toddy and, you know, have this pseudo elitist approach to it, which in one sense it is absolutely elitist, you still can play those songs and somebody, regardless of whatever they're experiencing or going through, it will impact and get that point across regardless of the, you know, needing to read that particular page. Yeah, sure. You know, or whatever. And, and that to me is like the coolest thing about art is it, it can be this incredible thing that it just gets to somebody regardless sure. of what things are, the, the preconceived notions are there. So that's why I love doing it. It's just Yeah, like, I mean, not to dive into this since we're probably getting close to time, but the just like what's art, you know? Yeah. And yeah. for me, like just as a high level thing, it has to give that kind of response. Yeah, like, exactly. It's more than just a pretty picture or whatever. It's more than something you get generally in, in three seconds of looking at it. Um, it might take you staring at a very white painting or whatever yeah. for yeah. three hours to finally get it. You know, mm-hmm. um, well, it's like, you know, when uh, Mark was saying about like the book, uh, the oh, God, the why am I spectacle culture He's like I read it once in my early 20s yeah, before I had, yeah, it didn't make any sense. And then I read a bunch of books and then I came back to it and it's like, whoa, you know, and I, I have books. like. In fact, I'm reading a book like that right now by Joseph Pieper. But, you know, I read it many, many years ago, and I, I pulled it off. I'm like, this would be interesting to revisit. And like the first paragraph is so dense. I'm sitting there just sitting there like, I'm going to need to think about this for a long time before I move on to the next thing. Because like yeah. I finally yeah. got what he was really saying sure. with that, after all the other stuff that I've read and came back to it. So it's um, – that's what – yeah. I've, I've nearly made it eh, maybe a third of the way through Ulysses. Yeah, right. and I tried to read it in my twenties, which was a failed attempt because I really had so little context for it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and actually, I was when I I started reading like a year year and a half ago or so because I was reading a lot, you know, at the time, and I was like, okay, I like I think I'm ready. My reading chops are up. Um, I've been reading harder and harder books, like. I think I can dedicate the time to this. And I even got like the problem with Ulysses is you have to like, you kind of have to need like a companion spec, so to speak as you read it, because there's a lot of like political things and stuff that were going on that you wouldn't have any context for. So you almost have to read two books at the same time to read that book, but I was getting through it and enjoying it and really made so much more sense than the first time I tried, but then COVID hit and I didn't finish it. Um, well, it's like, you know, there's a reason why masterworks are held in the regard that they are, yeah. you know, because they are not something there. There's something that you can approach. But as you get older and you experience more of life and more reading or whatever, and you go back to it, there's so much more dense than what you've originally conceived because you just couldn't see it. You didn't have the experience yet. Right didn't have the knowledge for it you know it's like i remember when i the first time i read dante and then the next time i read dante it was like oh okay and you definitely need the companions for that and i I did the thing where i actually read all three of the 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 inferno the purgatorio uh, the the paradiso 
And uh, so, and then I reread them and it's like, oh, all right, I get it a little bit more the second time through. The first sure. time it was like, just finish the books, sure. just finish, you need to do it. You know, and the second time it was like, wow, this was absolutely brilliant. You know, the, most of it, I still needed the companion thing because of like the different figures that were in it. I was like, I have It was no- like contextual stuff that you just don't know. Yeah. And I, I like don't a- know if you would have known when it came out. Like, yeah. it's, like I think with the Ulysses, there's a lot of like political stuff with Ireland or whatever going on, but that's one part of it. But then there's also like Greek historical stuff you have to know. So it's like, there's like a lot of this like kind of weird stuff you have to be aware of. Mm -hmm. But I, I wonder if people at the time would have known because the political stuff would have been going on at the time. Yeah. They would have been aware of it presumably. Well, that's why he hit it. (laughs) Yeah. People would have known what he was talking about, and he would have been Plus, dead. I mean, it's kind of awesome to try to read a book that was banned, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's a, the fascinating thing about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why is this fact, banned? And it, this if, you, if you give it to 20-year-old Tim, like, it didn't make any sense at all why it would be banned, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then, like, I can't even ahead. read. I remember trying to read it, and it was like... You like just like you said, like you read a paragraph and you're like, I really have just have no idea what that just said. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is that at least in my situation with the book yeah. that I'm reading now, it's like I I know what he's saying, but holy crap, I can't believe it. Like I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Right. In order to keep that same mental level of uh, awareness and thinking, it takes a lot because he's yeah. constantly. It's like I gotta make sure I keep this concept in mind as I'm reading. You can't this. like sort of like like in, in a normal book or even like a relatively good book with good writing. Um, you can you know some paragraphs you can kind of like scan through. Yeah, you don't have to catch everything because you kind of like okay, this is happening and this happened. You can kind of like move through. It's not a vital. Yeah. <laughs> you can, so you can kind of yeah you can go through quickly. But yeah, there's there's some books is like there ain't none of that. Like <laughs> it could be in the the third word on the fifth sentence in the paragraph or like, you know, or whatever that is the most important thing in the book so far. And here only on page three, you know, You're yeah, like, exactly. you can't like skim over that. Um, oh, I lo- I it's love tough. That. It's great. It's wonderful. We have to really, I mean, I, for myself, I don't, it's hard for me to read when I'm not traveling because it's just, there's too many distractions. Yeah. yeah. I guess to wrap it up, to wrap it up, Avoid labels at first, but eventually you can use them to well, be the able labels, to the labels are just there. They're there to help the consumers of the material, but I would suggest not. I, I think it would be a mistake as a writer, composer, creator to not just do what's interesting to you and try to fit a mold. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know. Unless there's money to be paid to fit yeah, into that. This is... If somebody's paying you to to do that, then you you do what you got to do to get paid. Yep. But if it's a purely like artistic thing, or even what you want, you're you're trying to create. I don't know. I guess I just wish more people would follow mm-hmm. the muse that they have instead of trying to fit in the mold. Yep. Absolutely. There it is. But you'll never get anyone to buy your stuff. But well, <laughs> <laughs> whichever. Maybe enough enough of us did it yeah you never know yeah. it's better to at least give it a shot so yeah i would like it more mm-hmm. there we go all right we'll catch you all, all right, next we're time. out of here
Later. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>